Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. I have a couple of announcements for everybody. There's a Young Life Bake Sale this Sunday, April 9th. So it'll be after the service and the foyer proceeds go to the youth retreat. NAYC was canceled, but we have a retreat coming up that's going to be phenomenal. I'm excited about it. You'll hear more about it. Also, revival services this weekend, Friday, 7 o'clock, right here. Saturday, 6 o'clock in Zachary, and then Sunday morning here, 10 a.m., we'll have Gordon Winslow. If you can make it to Zachary, make that trip. Let's experience that together. I believe Gordon's got a word for us. He's an evangelist used mightily in the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, we need that. We need that. And I'm excited about him being here. So don't forget those announcements. Big little... By the way, Young Life is meeting tonight behind us in the building. We're not quite there, but we're making progress. So that's exciting. Big Little Books, Part 12, Chapter 5, Part 2, Chapter 6, and Chapter 7, hopefully. Cynthia, Julie, good to see y'all, of course. We love y'all. So, a little review and introduction. Let me say a prayer first. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us tonight, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. Uh, Let's just jump into some verse reading, and I'll do some review from here. Verse 4 is where we'll start. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel... Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. With no one to quench it in Bethel, you who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He made the Pleiades and Orion... He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. So this idea, seek me and live. When Israel deserved judgment, the Lord told them, seek me and live. You deserve to die, but seek me and live. In order to do so, they would have to dig out the old places of disobedience and self-will like Bethel, Gilgal, Dan. We looked at that last time where those substitute places of worship were set up and they introduced the bull cults and those false gods into the worship of the true and living God. It doesn't work well. So they have to turn from what they've been doing wrong and turn to God forsaking their old sins. We see this, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and what? Crickets. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So you can't just confess. You have to confess and forsake. Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba, these were things they had to forsake. Now, these were historically significant places. We looked at this last time. Bethel, where God met Jacob. Gilgal, the place where Israel's 40-year reproach was rolled away. 
Beersheba is connected to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But they had become these vain, empty, religious strongholds. And in the Hebrew, there's this clever play on words in verse 5. Gilgal is swept clean away. It doesn't translate well in English, but in the Hebrew, it's this, this play on words. It's this pun. Gilgal, Gilgal is swept clean away, and the house of God, Bethel, becomes the house of vanity. One theologian said, by sin, the soul, which was the temple of God, becomes the temple of vanity and devils. So that's the idea. You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest. Again, Amos confronts the corrupt legal system of Israel. Justice had been thoroughly spoiled. Righteousness was as good as dead. This was all a threat to God's plans and purposes. He made the Pleiades and Orion. So Amos is expressing why you should be concerned about God being aggravated with you. I mean, he's big and he's the one that created everything. And he's also the one that can rain down judgment on you. He made the constellations and he's aggravated at you. But he's also big enough to save you no matter how far you've gone. So he's strong enough to bring judgment. It says that he rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. So the strong, the fortress can't stop God's power from getting to you. But he's also a loving God that says, seek me and turn to me. I'll, I'll forgive you. I'll, I'll pardon you. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Verses 10 through 15. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold, multifaceted transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, so that the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So they hate the one who rebukes in the gate. Amos is telling us the cause of the judgment that's coming. You've got these people that take advantage of the disadvantaged. They take advantage of the weak. The weak had no voice, no representation in the gate. And they were being robbed by these oppressive grain taxes. Interesting. Hubbard says, Judicial decisions for each community were taken at the gate of the city where the heads of families and other elders assembled to hear witnesses arbitrate disputes Decide controversies and generally dispense justice. The space on the inner side of the gate together with rooms or alcoves in the gate area itself were used as courtrooms. So you have the rich that are playing the system, paying off judges with bribes. 
I could say that it's not much different today. The gate was the law court in the ancient cities. And so here these courts are corrupt. They're silencing the poor, the righteous. They have no voice. The rich, the corrupt, they're just playing the system. It's a culture of injustice. And the result was, verse 13, the prudent keep silent at that time for it's an evil time. So people didn't stand up for truth for a couple of reasons. Number one, it would be ignored. Nobody cared. Number two, retribution. They could be paid back for speaking the truth. Speaking truth to power has a price with it. So it says here then, though you have built houses of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them. So here you have Israel. They, they have these fancy houses and vineyards. But because they've oppressed the poor and railroaded justice, their gains are temporary. So they think they're buying, but really they're just renting temporarily and the Lord's going to evict them. The wheels of justice are slow, but they're sure. And Amos is proclaiming this curse on Israel. The day's coming, y'all. You're living fat, high on the hog, which they didn't really leave high on the hog because they were Jews, right? But you're, you're, living, you're living large and in charge, but this is just temporary because you've been oppressing the poor and the weak and you've been railroading justice and you're just kind of doing your own thing. I'm telling you, you think you own these things, you're going to get kicked out. You're going to lose it all. It's a curse, and it's coming. But then the next verse, seek good, not evil, that you may live, so that the Lord of hosts will be with you. So here's the cure. Seek good, not evil. Seek the Lord. It may be that he turns and helps you out. It's the idea of repent, confess. Forsake, change, change, transform the corruption that's in your courts and legal system so that there is justice established in the gates. Verses 16 through 20. Are you with me? I'm doing my best, y'all. Is this exciting? We got, we got to go verse by verse. Verses 16 through 20. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a snake bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It is not very dark with no brightness. Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? So let's take that apart. There shall, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful, skillful lamenters to wailing. In, in the world of the uh, Jewish realm... You had professional wailers, professional mourners. We saw this in Jesus' ministry. Remember where there was a funeral procession going on? And there were these professional mourners. Am I on? Am I off? There were these professional wailers, mourners. 
How would you like that to be your job? Go to Indeed.com. I'm looking for a job as a professional mourner, you know. You're just good at wailing, you know. Just a wailer. W-A-I-L-E-R. You're just a professional. So they have these professional wailers. And, and what's being said is the judgment is so widespread and the mourning is so widespread that there's going to be a shortage of professional mourners. There's not going to be enough. And so what's going to happen? Well, Amos is a rancher. He's a farmer. And so what he's saying is the farmers, my compadres, you're going to have to go hire farmers to do your wailing for you. There's a run on skilled lamenters. So there's a lot, of be, a lot of money to be made in the whaling business. That's what's coming. That's what he's saying. I, I did a funeral in Lake Charles recently. And, and I, I had to say, excuse me, because I'm dealing with the, 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 the funeral director. And, and uh, he says, he's like, man, I said, like, you know, how's it? You kind of hate to say how's business. You know what I'm saying with the funeral director. But, you know, this is behind the scenes, clergy, funeral directors. I'm like, you know, how's it going? How's your business? And he's like, oh, man, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. It's been, the, it's been amazing. I'm like, oh, that's too bad. You know, he's like, he said, we've had 5,000 funerals in the last year. I was like, is that like COVID related? Well, some of it's COVID, but it's just, you know, business is boom. Five, I start doing the numbers, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, 10,000 times 5,000. Like, holy cow. Like, business is booming over in Lake Charles, you know. Uh, and that's what's being said here. Business is going to be booming for those mourners. And Amos is saying, some of the farmers, you know, business is going to be bad there. They could make some money mourning. And then the Lord says, what good is the day of the Lord? It looked like the children of Israel were saying, we can't wait for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. It's interesting, you know, the day of the Lord. The sun comes up. It's daytime. He's saying, you're waiting on the day of the Lord. Oh, the day of the Lord. He said, but the day is going to be darkness to you. It's not going to be, you know, this bright, bright, sunshiny day. I can see clearly now. No, to you, it's going to be dark. You're, you're looking forward to the day of the Lord. He said, here's, here's what that's like. That's like you're, you're running from a lion. And you're like, whoosh, I got away from that. And a bear attacks you. Or you escape, you run into your house and you're like, I got away from the lion. I got away from the bear. Thank God that's over. Put your hand on the wall, boom, and a snake bites you. He's like, you guys, unless you turn to the Lord, you're in trouble. And the day of the Lord is not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. One writer said, the illustrative parable of the lion, the bear, and the snake makes it clear that darkness and light do not speak here of wickedness and righteousness, but of disaster and safety. So the day of the Lord will be darkness. It will not be a day of salvation, but of calamity at that time, unless they turn back to the Lord. 21 through 27, I hate when the Lord says this, you got to pay attention. He says, I hate, I despise your feast days. 
And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you, though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I won't accept them. I will not regard your fatted, fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. <coughs> Excuse me. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikath, your king, and Chion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So he hates their feast days. This, this word, I mean, to, to put it in perspective, think, think if Gordon Winslow shows up Friday night and he said, Life point, thus says the Lord. I hate your church services. I hate your music. I hate your worship. I hate your sacrificial giving. I, I hate everything you're doing, says the Lord. Think about that. That's how offensive this word coming through the man Amos would have been to Israel at the time. He's saying, I hate your church. You guys are backslidden. The, the coming of the Lord, the rapture that you're looking for, that would be in our day. The rapture you're looking for, it's not a happy day for you. You go into hell. That's what Amos is saying. We're the people of God. We're the chosen ones. And Amos is saying, you think God's on your side? He hates the way you do church, that, that's how offensive. This would have infuriated Amos's target audience. It's, it's really a John the Baptist type ministry. John the Baptist went to start a church way out in the wilderness. Location, location, location. I love to make fun of John. John the church planter, location, location, location. You need to get on the corner of Airline and Dago right across from Walmart. That's how you start a church. John goes out, way out, you know, way, way out into Watson, way out in the wilderness beyond Watson. Out on the, the Amy or the Chifuncta somewhere. And he starts baptizing people way out. That's kind of how Amos is. And then when people would come to John's to get baptized, they would say, we want to be baptized. And he was like, I don't believe it. Prove it. Show me fruit that you've changed. And they're like, oh, John, come on now. And, you know, I'm just saying, you know, we, we would be like, absolutely. There's one, you know, there's two, you know, Instagram, Facebook. There's three H2Os, five H2Os, ten H2Os. Hallelujah. John's like, no, no, no we're not going to baptize you until you show me that you're serious. Know what I'm saying? That, that's kind of like a modern way of looking at this. The Lord was saying to Israel, I hate the way you do church. 
I'm offended. I'm not impressed by the pomp and circumstance of your sanctimonious religiosity because your hearts are so far from me, is what he's saying. And the way I can tell your hearts are far from me is how you treat each other. How you treat those who are down when they're disadvantaged and they're wounded and they're down. You, you just have no problem finishing them off. I want to tell you something. That is the height of religiosity. Religious people will, they won't stop until you're dead. That's how I know Paul was raised from the dead when he was stoned at Lystra. Stoned at Lystra doesn't mean he was doing drugs. Stoned at Lystra means they were throwing rocks at him. And it was the religious people. And they left him thinking he was dead. And the reason why is, I know that, religious people don't stop until you're all the way dead. And they attacked him. Remember what they did to Stephen? They gnashed upon him with their teeth. I mean, they're just like enraged. Religious people don't stop until you're dead. And so here, here you have Amos. And he's saying, you, you, you hit a brother when he's down, when he's wounded, when he's not at his best. And you just suck the life right out of him. And he said, you know, I don't care about your hands being raised and the lambs being offered. None of that matters to me. I see your heart and it's messed up. Are you with me? Jesus said that, Matthew 5, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Be reconciled to your brother first, and then come and offer your gift. It's pretty stout. To God, all that Israel did, their feast days, sacred assemblies, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, and songs, were all meaningless. Because the lack of justice, justice means to right the wrong. The lack of righting the wrong. Bad spirit won't right it. Now we've got a problem. And righteousness was missing in their, the way they dealt with others. Therefore, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. David Guzik says this. It's easy to separate our religious ceremonies from the way we treat others. Did you catch that? We can compartmentalize. And to think that God should be happy if we give him his due without regard to justice and righteousness towards others. God's saying, let your religious ceremonies dry up, but let justice run down like a river, righteousness like a mighty stream. I can't say this guy's name very well. McComiskey says this. A momentary flow of justice and righteousness will not do. These virtues are to keep on in the social order like a stream that does not dry up with summer heat. Let it flow. And he goes on. He says, you also carried... Sikuth, 
your king and Chion or Kion, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. So apparently, these are pagan deities that Israel, listen to this, brought with them from Egypt into the promised land. So they see ten plagues. They come to the Red Sea. They're following a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And you know what else they're doing? Hey, get, get Sikuth and Kion. Like, bring, bring those gods with us. Because, you know, in case he fails, we got Sikuth and Kion, you know. Think about that. Ten plagues. God brings them out with a strong right hand. Perfectly prophesied. 400 and something years and in Egypt, you know, I'll bring you out. God told Abraham that all those years, you know, before. And here they go. They're, they're bringing their gods out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They get on the other side. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. Just dragging along those old gods they brought out of Egypt. And it's generational. Mom and dad die in the wilderness. Kids bring those Sukkoth and Kion, bring them over. Jo- Joshua's like, okay, we're crossing over the Jordan, going into the promised land. They cr- it's a miracle. Priests walk in, water parks, they walk in. They're dragging along those same gods. Think about that. Now, we can judge them, but, oh, we got some of our own. Oh, my Lord, do we have some of our own. Idols, greed, lust, works of the flesh, things we hang on to, we Refuse to let go. In case this Jesus stuff doesn't work, I, I can still fall back on this. You know what I'm saying? I still, I'm going to put that liquor up here in the top cabinet, you know, because just in case, just in case I don't get my dose of the Holy Ghost and the stress gets too high, I'm going to put it. I, I know where to go. Uh, my help comes from the Lord, but I got alternatives, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're scared to say amen. You're like, you don't think it's... You're going to think I got liquor in my cabinet. <laughs> the NIV translates Sukkoth and Kion as shrine and pedestal. So if you're looking at the NIV, you'll see that. I think that's wrong. It's, it's apparently a difficult passage to translate. The Septuagint has it as Molech and Sukkoth, which is a familiar deity in the Old Testament. And then also... Uh, there are others with Rephan and Kion. Rephan was an Egyptian deity related to the planet Saturn. All of these came, though, from Mystery Babylon. It's the astral deities from the Tower of Babel. And, and, and re- that religion has intrigued fallen man for time immemorial. So God reminded Israel that though they sacrificed to him in the wilderness, they also hung on to their idolatry. And it didn't please him then, and it doesn't please him now. And I might say it doesn't please him now in 2021 either. Abram was called out of Babylonian Ur. His family was a family of idol makers. That old Babylonian religion, that mystery religion stuff. Sikuth and Kion and Molech and all that stuff. They, they came out of that, worshiping the celestial deities and whatnot. He, that's what he was called out of. 
But here they were hanging on to them from Egypt, through Egypt, through the Red Sea, and into the Promised Land. I got a question. Could it have been the double-mindedness of the children of Israel that was the cause of them shrinking at Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea? Remember when they were facing the promised land and the 12 spies went in and the 10 spies came back and said, Oh no, there's giants. We can't take the land. And Joshua and Caleb said, Yes, we can. We can take the land. That's what the word says. And the ten spies said, I don't care what the word says. We cannot take the land because of the giant. And the people rallied with the unbelieving spies. And, and in context, you go to Hebrews, you study this out. Faith comes by hearing. They, they sidled up to the unbelief instead of the believers. Could it have been that they didn't have the strength to dig into the hard word and obey it? Because their hearts were divided. They had these other gods. Incidentally, Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh means holy. You would think this is like a holy place, but according to some commentators that I studied, there's a connection to Babylonian temple prostitution with Kadesh Barnea. In other words, there were men and women who were consecrated to the worship of Astart, uh, Astra, uh, etc. From the Babylonian astral deities, they were consecrated to uh, uh, prostitution and worship along those lines there at Kadesh Barnea. And isn't it interesting that that's where they failed. That's where the curse came and said, you'll die in the wilderness you will not enter into my promises. They have divided hearts. He said, I'll send you into captivity. So here's this extreme sin on Israel's part. And it warrants this extreme correction. Captivity. It's coming. Chapter 6. Making progress. I told you Amos is sad and gloomy, man. But we can learn from Amos. We can learn from these cats. They were written for our examples. I'm just glad I wasn't born in Bible days, you know. This would be about. Us. It's about them. I can learn from them. I don't have to learn the hard way. I can learn from their hard way. So, famous scripture here, verse 1. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. Israel was lifted up in pride. And they were leaning back in their lazy boys. They were on easy street. They were indulgent. They were seeking constantly leisure, pleasure, comfort, luxury. That was their God. You know, the idea of rest is not bad. Uh, Jesus said, come unto me. All you that weary, that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So there's rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4 says that. There's a rest that waits for the people of God. There's rest for us in heaven. Revelation 4 says that. 
But, but there's another kind of rest. It's sinful. It's indifference, laziness, entitlement, indulgence. Spurgeon said it was a carnal ease, a fleshly security. It's not the confidence of a man who is pardoned, you know, by the judge. But it's the ease of a hardened wretch who has learned to despise the gibbet. That's, that's a word for gallows. It's not the assurance of one who is on the rock, but the ease of a senseless drunkard whose house is tottering from its sandy foundation, and yet he riots at full speed. It's not the calm of soul at peace with God, but the ease of a madman who, because he has hidden his sin from his own eyes, thinks he has concealed it from God. It is the ease and peace of one who has grown callous, hardened, brutalized, stupid, sullen, and careless, who has begun to sleep with God, which God grants, uh, who has begun a sleep which God grant may soon be broken, or else it will surely bring him where he shall make his bed in hell. It's the idea that when somebody says, I'm getting out of the fight, and I'm just giving in to what I want. That kind of ease. I remember when I quit church years ago. I got out of church. At first, I was kind of like, hey, this ain't so bad. I'm not crying. It's a, you know, feeling guilty. Uh, I'm, I'm just doing my thing, you know, like, hey. It, it wasn't until later, you know, the pleasures of sin. There's a pleasure of sin for a season, right? But the season is not long lived. And eventually the season comes to an end. And you wake up and you realize, like the prodigal, what am I doing in a pig pen? Why am I eating pig food? I mean, my father's house, the servants even have it better. Like It's that kind of realization. But, but at first, you're just kind of like, ah, I'm going to party like a rock star, you know, like. I'm going all in. This is fun. Woo! Life of the party. And then you wake up and you're like, I'm miserable. That, that kind of rest that you see when you backslide, you know, that, that's what you start. That ease in Zion. This sinful ease. Is, Israel had this sinful ease. They were presumptuous. They trusted in the might of Mount Samaria. Israel procrastinated. They, they put the day of, the, of doom off. That's not going to happen. That's way off. They, they were cruel. They, they were mean to people. They had a love of self, self-indulgent. And, and they were careless. It's this drunkenness, ignorance. They, just, they were just self-indulgence. Spurgeon says self-indulgence is the God of many. The God of many. David, you know, when he should have gone to war, he stayed home. He was at ease. Fell into sin with Bathsheba. Murdered her husband. That's the kind of ease. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. And then the Lord said, are you better than these kingdoms? He points out all these different places, you know. He's like, check out these pagan neighbors of yours. You think you're so different. You're no different. Judgment's coming to you. Three through seven. 
Woe to you who put off the day of doom, who cause the seed of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. I mean, they got lamb chops, they got filet mignon, Oscar style, with a little reduction. Who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourself musical instruments like David. Who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourself with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now go captive as the first ones, the first captives. And those who recline at banquets shall be removed. This, this whole idea of there's this cataclysmic captivity coming. You pamper yourself, but you are about to be wiped out. He said they'll go first as the captives. The leading men of Israel would lead in the train of captives with those fish hooks in their mouths going into Assyrian captivity. Verses 8 through 11. The Lord God has sworn himself, the Lord of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that's in it. Then it shall come to pass that if ten men remain in the house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead, which uh, with one who will burn the bodies, picks up the bodies to take them out of the house, he will say to one inside the house, and there are, uh, are there any more with you? Then someone will say, none. And he will say, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord gives a command. He will break the great house into bits and the little houses into pieces. Let's take that apart. Starting to wind down. I abhor the pride of Jacob. As sinful as their conduct was, the root of it was pride. Pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. When you're lifted up in pride, you're on your way out. Pride blinds. Pride stuffs your ears where you can't hear the truth. You see what you want to see. It, 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 it will invite all kind of evil and wickedness. God hates pride. And he said he hated the pride of Jacob. You know, God said this three times in Scripture, 1 Peter, James 4, and Proverbs. God resists the proud. He resists them. He fights against the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you in due season. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Then you can resist the devil. God resists the proud. If you want to resist the devil, humble yourself under God's hand, and then the hand of God is with you as you resist the devil. Hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It's saying that people are going to become so terrified of the judgment of God, they're going to be afraid to even mention His name. We're like, He's as close as the mention of His name. Hallelujah. They're like, don't say that name. He's against us. That guy that I have a hard time saying His name. He said this, when a relative of one of the dead comes to burn the corpses, should he find one person still alive, that person will not permit his mentioning the name of the Lord for fear that the Lord will turn his wrath on him. That's what that's saying. 12 through 14. Why don't you stand with me? It's gotten awful quiet. I know this is doom and gloom. I'm trying to find a happy place to exit. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen. Yet you have turned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice over 
Lodibar, who say, have we not taken Carneum for ourselves by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts. They will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of the Arabah. The horses run on rocks. When a horse runs on rocks, the horse is going to injure itself. It's, it's not going to result well. And in the same way, Israel cannot expect things to go good when they turn justice into gall. And the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. It's bitterness. He says, I'll raise up a nation against you. Amos has this recurring theme. Because of your great sin, judgment is coming through a conquering nation. We'll get into chapter 7 next time. But again... It's horrible. These prophecies are nightmarish. You know, we looked in Joel with the locusts. The locusts are coming back. We're going to see locusts again in chapter 7. Nightmarish prophecies. Horrible things. I mean, bad. Fish hooks chained together, naked, going into captivity. Everybody's dying. You're scared to say the name of the Lord in that He may wipe you out. He said, well, all you got to do, just turn to me. Seek me. Just that simple. Now, that's the beauty. Y'all, we're in a new covenant, better promises. But God's going to get his plans and purposes pushed forward. And we can resist in pride. And when you resist, when you resist the, the mighty hand of God moving his kingdom forward even in the new testament look at ananias and sapphira look at saul struck down on the road to damascus and others um you're in trouble i'm in trouble but all it takes is jesus i'm so sorry what a fool i've been what an idiot what i lost my way god I, I, I just lost my way. And the Lord is able to forgive and turn and reconfigure and get you plugged in right where you need to be so you can do everything He's called you to do. Thank you Aren't for joining you us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.